Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here at Brookside. And it is so great to be getting back into that most wonderful time of the year again, isn't, isn't it? And by that, I mean college football season. So it's that most wonderful time of the year, at least for, for some teams represented here this morning, right? But, but it's also that most wonderful time of the year because so many ministries at Brookside are kicking off again for the fall. Just one example of this is that Tribe, our middle school ministry, had their annual powwow just this last weekend. Our powwow is where uh, students and leaders get together and basically our adult leaders for Tribe sacrifice a night of sleep to spend investing in and getting to know their middle school students. And so uh, just this last Friday night, we had 75 seventh, eighth, and uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders get together here at the church building. Ton of fun here. And then they spread out around Omaha to crash at places, to crash at different homes, pre-designated homes, I should say, um, for the night. My, my oldest is in sixth grade. He was part of it, had a great time, and I think he got a little bit of sleep as well, so, so definitely good. And then, and then absolutely having Heather express her faith in Jesus through baptism this morning is, is a highlight too. Not only because of the work that, that Jesus is doing in Heather's life, but because of how fundamental baptism is to what we want to be all about here at Brookside as we help people find and follow Jesus. And if you've got questions about baptism, or if you're at the spot where you're, where you're ready to pursue baptism yourself, you think you are, we'd love to have you attend just a, a short crash course on baptism that we've got right after th this service this morning. It's short, 10, 15 minutes max, meets in this room right over here underneath the big For the City sign. Brad Zook will be leading you through it, just a great uh, orientation or crash course to, to give you the heads up on, on what's involved with baptism, just because we want to keep celebrating that sort of life, that sort of work that Jesus is doing in more and more and more people. And then also, I'm certainly excited about this new series that we're kicking off this morning. We're calling it Dear Church, and we're heading into some of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to actual churches in the first century. And these letters that we're going to be looking at over the course of the next few weeks, these letters have made such a difference. It's hard to overestimate the difference these letters have made in forming churches and Christians Throughout, uh, throughout the last 2,000 years, right? I mean, that they've been that life-changing. And this morning, I'm so excited to start getting into these letters uh, in, this, in this particular sermon. And so the place we're going this morning is Galatians. One of the first letters that Paul wrote, and it's in the New Testament. So I want you to find Galatians, to find it. You go to the New Testament, uh, past the halfway point in your Bibles, you get to books like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go past those, past Acts. Romans, another big book, past 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then you get to Galatians. So go ahead and find that spot, hang on with it, hang on with me there, we'll be there in just a minute. But let me start off this way, by, by looking back first at last week and what Jeff talked about. Jeff brought us into Acts chapter 20, and, and he showed us that the Apostle Paul was a man who was compelled by the gospel. When Paul met Jesus, it made something click inside of him, and Paul was never the same man after meeting Jesus. So last week we saw that Paul was a man who was overwhelmed by God's grace. He was focused on God's purposes. He was motivated by this tremendous love for people. And then Paul's life was characterized by taking bold, sacrificial risk. And everything that's true of Paul's life here is true because of the gospel. 
because of the good news of what, of what Jesus had done and, and everything that Paul knew that meant for, for, how, for how that reoriented his entire life. And so, so ever since Jeff was up front last Sunday, I, I knew what I was speaking on this morning. I've been looking forward to this morning because this morning we just go deeper into this thing that Paul was so passionate about, the gospel. You see, you see Galatians, pretty much the whole letter is Paul just teasing out different truths and implications of this good news that had so captured him. Galatians is our chance to sit down with somebody whose life has been personally impacted by the gospel. And we just sit down and take notes, right? I mean, we, we let his passion for the gospel, we let his knowledge of the gospel rub off on us. I mean, this is our chance to hear from someone who's compelled by the gospel, talk about the gospel. And then that should obviously lead in us to the spot where, where we see how, how compelling the gospel is today, 21st century, for us in America, in Omaha, right? We're, we're drawn into it. We see how the gospel can still change our lives today. So, so as we dig into Galatians, we find Paul urging not only this church, but, but urging us through this letter to keep the gospel front and center. We, we keep the gospel front and center. This is the statement that, that if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. Because this is the statement we're going to be talking about the rest of our time this morning. Because we want to talk about it because the thing is, this statement doesn't happen by itself. We don't keep the gospel front and center automatically. And then also, this, this statement, keeping the gospel front and center, isn't something we do once when we first meet Jesus and then we move past it. No, keeping the gospel front and center is something we continue to do actively and intentionally and repeatedly throughout our lifetime of following Jesus. And so, so this morning, to, to, just to help us appreciate how central this is to the life of our church, I want to answer three questions that come out of this statement. First question, what is the gospel? It's the place to start, right? If we're, if we're going to keep it front and center, what is it in the first place? Why is keeping the gospel front and center that big of a deal? And then how? How do we keep the gospel front and center? And then as we answer these questions, some of you here this morning are going to have that light bulb moment where, where things that maybe didn't make sense to you before, they finally fall into place. Things finally click. You finally get it. Because let's be honest, the gospel is one of those Christian lingo words that Christians use a lot, but we don't always find the, find the time, take the time to explain and flesh out. And so this morning, I want to take the time to do that. I want us to slow down and simmer in the gospel so that, we, so that way we have a very clear understanding of what it is and why it's so compelling. So, so for those of you here this morning that are following Jesus, this is an important checkup this morning. Because we never move past the gospel and we never want to grow casual towards it. It is no overstatement to say that the gospel we'll be looking at this morning the gospel of Jesus Christ is the orienting center of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And then for others of you here this morning, the, the gospel isn't even in your dictionary. It's not on your radar screen. You, you don't have any categories for it, you don't think. 
Well, well, if this is you, let me encourage you to pay attention because I am so excited to introduce you to the gospel this morning. First of all, because of how central it is to understanding Christianity. If you want to understand Christianity, you have to understand the gospel. But I'm also excited to introduce you to the gospel because, because of how understanding and responding to the gospel can change your life. I know all sorts of people would raise their hand this morning and point to ways the gospel has changed their life. And we want to make that breathe. We want to, we want to give that life to you this morning. So first question we start with. What is the gospel? Well, the word gospel, it literally means good news. And even more than that, it means good news that makes a difference. Good news that changes things in the best possible way. It's good news that offers hope in a helpless situation. The gospel is good news that promises victory in the face of apparent defeat. And we can all relate to those sorts of situations where we've felt helpless. Those sorts of situations where, where we need some good news, right? My, my wife, Carrie, and I, we were in one of those situations ourselves just a little bit over a year ago. It was a year ago, this last, memor or this last Memorial Day. Uh, we were out at uh, my, uh, my uh, in-law's farm where my wife grew up, near Kearney, uh, out there weekend with some friends, just hanging out, Memorial Day weekend, you guys get it, right? So, so we were there, Memorial Day, if I remember right, just getting ready to have supper. So we were going to cook outside over the fire. Awesome thing, you can do that in the country. So build a big fire and throw protein on it, which is awesome. So we were getting ready to do that when all of a sudden one of the friends that we were there with comes speeding up on a four-wheeler way faster than just this natural saunter on a four-wheeler, right? And, and our oldest son, Karsten, was on the four-wheeler behind him. And, and we knew right away that something serious had happened. Because the first words out of our friend's mouth me were, were, if I remember right, Tim, you need to get Carson to the hospital now. And so, so what had happened was this. Carson was, was riding a go-kart with one of his friends that he was there with, and, and they had accidentally run into a piece of farm equipment on the property. And, and Carson had been impaled by this piece of farm equipment. And he had three deep punctures kind of two in the front part of his abdomen, and then one coming out the side. And, and I've been in lots of hospital rooms. I, I'm grateful Carson was conscious, but I don't know if I've ever seen someone so drained of color. Felt helpless, right? And so, so what we did is, is we, we hop in our van, we race down Highway 30 to the hospital in Kearney. And, and there in that hospital, we learned that Carson had... Uh, had, had some extensive internal bleeding. He'd broken a rib, he'd punctured a lung, and he'd lacerated his liver. And so, so they life-flighted him out of Kearney to Children's Hospital in Omaha, where he, was, where he was given care and under observation. And Carrie made the, the helicopter ride with Carson, but they could only take one other person. So I made the, the three-hour drive from Kearney to Omaha, about two hours, right? Um, but, but, but for that two hours, you feel helpless. You pray, you, you text some friends to let them know what's going on. But it's a desperate situation. But then slowly over the course of the next few days, we got progressively good news. First, when we, when we heard that Karsten's situation 
was, was serious but not life-threatening, as long as we kept him in good care, that was good news, right? And, and then after weeks of keeping Karsten in observation, just repeated doctor's visits to make sure that, that his liver wasn't leaking bile into a system. That's what a lot of doctors were, were worried about. After repeatedly visiting the doctor and after hearing that his liver had healed to the point that was no longer a danger, that was good news. It was good news that changed a helpless situation, spun it around, made us look at it entirely differently. It's good news that made a difference and the gospel, the Christian gospel, is that sort of good news, only infinitely better. This isn't brush your brow and sigh of relief good news. The Christian gospel is good news that makes a difference in people's lives for eternity. The Christian gospel changes individuals. It changes families. It can change communities. And I believe it can make a a, a dent, an impact in the best possible way on this world. I want us to have that big of an imagination for how great and good the gospel is. It's that sort of good news. The Bible tells us that our situation is more desperate than anything in that story that I just told you. Anything that the story even comes close to. You see, the Bible tells us that, that our situation is such that all of us, every one of us, are sinners separated from God. And we deserve an eternity in a very real hell apart from that God. And then it gets worse. And then the Bible says that there's nothing we can do by ourselves to save ourselves. That is how desperate our situation apart from the gospel is. But that's what makes the gospel such good news, right? You can find definitions of the gospel all over the place in the New Testament. They all point to the same thing. The the place we're going again is Galatians. So let's see what Galatians has to say to summarize and teach us the gospel. Right away, Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. The Apostle Paul tells us there, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. According to the will of God, of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean the gospel is written all over those verses. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave himself for our sins. He took the penalty we deserved but didn't get. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age that is corrupted and polluted by sin in us and around us. That's the gospel. And the thing is, this is good news that God offers to us, not by anything that we do, but by God's grace through faith. That is the truth of the Christian gospel. So so second question, if we know what the gospel is, why is keeping the gospel front and center such a big deal? Why is it it so important that we do it intentionally and actively and repeatedly? Well, here's the answer Galatians gives us. If we don't actively keep the gospel front and center, if we don't do this repeatedly and intentionally, if we don't do this, 
the danger is we drift, right? We drift away from the centrality of the gospel into something else, some other pursuit that doesn't even come close to the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Paul shares this concern in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. So just right following down from where we had just read. Here's what Paul says. I am astonished, church. Right? He writes to Galatia. We need to be aware of this. We, uh, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who calls you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The threat is real. There are different gospels out there trying to get our attention all the time. And if we don't actively keep the gospel front and center, we drift into this different gospel that is really no gospel at all. It's not good news. It doesn't come close. And no one here gets a free pass on this. If we don't actively keep the gospel central, we drift. Maybe we drift on purpose and make intentional choices to pursue something else. but, But the scarier threat to me is when we drift and we don't even know it. But we drift single degree by single degree by single degree by single degree until until pretty soon we are a mile away from where we started. And it was just this slow, unconscious drift away from the truth of the gospel. This can happen to anyone. Because keep reading in Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to see that this even happens to the Apostle Peter here in Galatians 2, starting in verse 11, where where, where even the Apostle Peter, this, this hero of the early church, right, even he in this story drifts from the gospel. And so starting in verse 11, when Cephas, that's Peter, when he came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he, he stood condemned. I mean, let me stop there for just a second. Put yourself in this very real situation for a second. Imagine how simultaneously intense and awkward this confrontation would have been where there's this standoff between Paul and Peter in the early church. These two huge leaders. I mean, it'd be like uh, Tom Osborne confronting Mike Riley in the middle of the game yesterday, right? So, so imagine halftime happens, Tom Osborne doesn't like something Mike Riley did to, to change things up. And so middle of the game, Tom Osborne comes walking across the middle of the field. Media picks it up, and, and Tom Osborne kind of chews Mike Riley out, and the mic picks it up. If you love confrontation, you're calling the popcorn guy to come over to you. And if you hate confrontation, you're rocking back and in like fetal position because your whole paradigm of Nebraska football is getting rocked, right? I mean, that's how awkward and intense and real this public confrontation between Paul and Peter was here. That's, that's the sort of situation we're talking about. But as we keep reading, we see why Paul chose to step up and, and address Peter in a very public way. Verse 12 For before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But then when these men from James arrived, Peter began to draw back. Peter began to separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to this group called the circumcision group. 
and then, and then Peter's drift pulled other people along with him. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So, so hang with me for just a second here. I, I want to explain this because this is important for us to understand. Back in, back in the first century, back in Paul and Peter's day, eating with someone communicated affirmation and unity. It wasn't like these long tables they've got at Starbucks now where you can sit next to somebody you don't know, never interact with, stuff like that. It wasn't the way eating communicated fellowship, togetherness, unity there in the first century. And so, so when we read that, that Peter is eating with Gentiles, that's a big deal because if you read through the Old Testament, you find all sorts of, of dietary laws that would have kept a faithful Jew from sharing a buffet line with a Gentile. So, so Peter eating with Gentiles is a big deal. So when we see this, the only way Peter is doing this is because of how the gospel had already worked in Peter. You can write down Acts chapter 10 if you want to see that. Or you can read it on your own later. But the gospel had already worked in Peter to show Peter that, that this distinction that had been true, separating Jew from Gentile, because of how Jesus Christ and the grace that he offers is this great leveler, because of that gospel, that distinction between Jews and Gentiles no longer exists. We're one in Christ Jesus. There's unity there. Peter was eating with the Gentiles because he got that until he didn't. Until the time that he drifted when these men from James arrived and we, and we see that Peter draws back from the Gentiles. We see that Peter separates from the Gentiles. And Paul knows that this isn't just favoritism. This isn't just segregation. Paul knows that this is a gospel issue because, because we're going backwards, Peter, not forwards. We don't want to do that. We need to keep going into the gospel, into the unity that it proclaims, offers, makes available to us. And so, so Paul calls Peter out on the carpet. And verse 14, he, he bottom lines it this way. He says that this group, including Peter and the others, they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Peter's actions weren't consistent with what he would have said he believed. Peter could have aced any gospel quiz that we give him. He was there. He experienced it. He would have gotten 100%. But, but even though he knew it, he wasn't living in line with the gospel that he proclaimed. He drifted. And if Peter can drift, you can drift. If Peter can drift, I can drift. If Peter can drift, we can drift. I mean, do, do you hear that, Brookside? If we don't actively, repeatedly, and intentionally keep the gospel front and center, we drift. Maybe we'll drift into self-sufficiency or self-absorption. Or maybe we'll just drift into putting something else as the most valuable thing in our life. Some relationship, our GPA, some ladder we want to climb at work. Our image could be any of a hundred of things, but we'll drift away from the centrality of the gospel into something else that Paul doesn't even call Christianity. 
This can happen to any one of us. That is why it's so important for us to get the gospel right and keep it right, to keep it front and center. And so, so that means that this last question we're asking is that important. Because if the gospel really is that big of a deal, then we need to ask, how do we keep it front and center? Right? How do we keep the gospel front and center in our lives? Well, to answer this, I just want to keep building on this imagery we've been using of drift, right? Because we can all pull up the mental picture of a boat in our minds that isn't tethered to anything. It's not connected to a dock, no anchor, nothing like that. Over time, that boat is going to drift if it's on the ocean. That's just what wind and current does, right? And so, so before you know it, that boat that was here is either yards and yards or miles and miles away from where it was because of drift unless you do what? Unless you drop anchor. Unless you tether it to an anchor that's going to keep it firmly in place. This anchor keeps us tethered to the place we want to be. And so, so this morning, with, with that image in mind, I want to drop anchor in two ways that are going to keep us from drifting, that are going to keep the gospel tethered to our lives. So first anchor that we drop is, is, is we anchor our belief in the gospel. We anchor our belief in the gospel. When, when, when Paul first confronts Peter about what Peter's doing, about, about not acting in line with the gospel, look at what Paul puts in front of Peter in chapter 2, verse 15. Look at how he explains things. Paul says that we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. The first thing Paul calls Peter back to is belief. Peter, remember what you believe. Peter, you know this. You know, we know this, that we can't be justified by works of the law but by faith in Jesus. So, so Peter, remember what you believe. Remember what you know. And then Paul continues. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So, so in that passage, Paul basically says the same thing three different times because of how strongly he wants Peter to get this and because of how strongly he wants us to get this. The, the point of what Paul is saying here is that we are justified. That means we're declared righteous in God's sight. We're justified not because of anything that we do, nothing that I bring to the table, no notches on my belt, no nothing like that. We are justified not because of what we do, but by faith. In Jesus Christ. I mean, did you hear that? We find acceptance before God not by what we do, right? So we draw a big X through that. But by what Jesus has done for us. This is the distinction that separates gospel Christianity from everything else. That distinction is huge. We need to get it because, because we need to appreciate that we don't spend ourselves trying to earn God's favor. We can't. No good works are enough. We need to rest in what Jesus has done for us. Gospel belief tells us that in Christ, 
Listen to this. In Christ, you are loved. In Christ, you are accepted. In Christ, you have worth. And and we take those sorts of statements for granted way too often. I know know, that happens to me. It's way too easy for me to to hear that sort of thing and just to glance by it. But, But we need to soak in the peace and the assurance and the truth that, that this idea of justification by faith, acceptance by God, because of Jesus, everything that offers us. So let me say these, these things again. In Christ, you are loved. You belong. In Christ, you have worth. Nothing tops that. Belief in the gospel really is that big of a deal. The second anchor is that we not just anchor our belief in the gospel, we also anchor our behavior in the gospel. Do you remember what Paul said in chapter 2, verse 14, where, where Paul doesn't just call Peter and the others out for hypocrisy and segregation and favoritism. Paul tells them they've not been acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And so what we see here is that there's a truth of the gospel that that means something for the way that we actually live our lives. This means that we, we repeatedly and actively and intentionally remind ourselves of the belief that's consistent with the gospel. We soak in the truths of the gospel, right, that we see right here. Not do, but done. We soak in that and everything that means to us. And then we always ask the question, So what? What does this truth of the gospel mean for my relationships? What does it mean for my image? What does it mean for my my attitude, my actions at school or at work? What does it mean for the way that I handle criticism? I mean, we could go on and on, but we just continue to, to just hold the gospel up and turn it so we see all of the implications that living in line with the gospel should have for our lives. And then this, this obedience is not some kind of sagging shoulders, reluctant obedience. No, when the gospel shapes our obedience, our obedience becomes a glad, grateful, joyful, eager obedience. We, we, we see this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I mean, look at, look at how gospel-shaped Paul's approach to life, to behavior, is. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. So so we don't obey out of obligation. We obey because of the one who loved us and who gave himself for us. Our obedience is glad obedience. I mean, it's like this. So often we think of of the gospel this way. I had a really nice circle here first service. We'll see what I do this service. So so here's our life, right? That's an okay circle, right? So so here's our life. And and so often we kind of segment our life up into different compartments, right? Where, Where there's relationships, right? Friends and family. Those are always important. And then then there's school and work that get a lot of our attention. That's supposed to be work, 
Um, and, and then there's free time, right? That's always good to do. Free time. And then there's finances that always get a lot of attention just because you, you got to pay for stuff, you know? So it's important that way. But, but the thing is, the gospel kind of just becomes this, this tale. It's there. We don't really know what it does. But, but, but it's probably important is the way that we think. But really, what Paul is saying here in Galatians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 20, he says that all of our life should be shaded by the gospel. It's not this tail on the end. It is the, it is the water that we swim in. It is the lens through which we see everything else. This is what the gospel should do to our behavior. We continually ask, here's the good news of Jesus Christ. What does this mean for how I treat others, how I view myself, and on and on and on we go. And when this sort of belief, when this sort of approach drives our behavior, again, our obedience becomes glad obedience that's motivated by joy and gratitude. It becomes contagious. It draws other people in. That is what acting in line with the truth of the gospel looks like. Boots on the ground, lived out reality. That's what it looks like. And so, so the bottom line of all of this is that the gospel of God's grace in Jesus really is as good as we've seen. And it really is as important as we've seen. And it really is as all-encompassing as we've seen. And if that's the case, then we, then we need to keep the gospel front and center in our lives. And so, so since this is such a big deal to us, I, I actually want to create some space right now before we're done here this morning for us to, to maybe set or reset our lives around the gospel. Because as we seek to help people find and follow Jesus Christ as a church, the root system of that is the gospel. We help people find Jesus Christ because of the gospel. And we help people follow Jesus Christ because of the gospel. And so, so it would be irresponsible of us this morning not to take some time, devote some time here to facilitating a, a focused conversation between you and God. So, so here's what I want to do. I, I just want to ask you to do something we don't always do, but we're going to do it today. I ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me here this morning. And, and the, the, the reason we're doing this is simply to facilitate a focus on God. To help you clear out distractions. Don't worry about the people sitting next to you. Focus on God. And I, and I just want to talk to a few different groups of people for a minute. Some of you here, you, you came this morning and you, you came seeking. You, you know that you came seeking. You were looking for something. Maybe you didn't know what it was, but you knew you hadn't found it yet. And, and when you heard what God's word says about the gospel, the good news of God's grace and life for sinners, Something happened inside of you. you. You were drawn to that. You knew that's what you needed. That was the thing you're looking for. If that's you, I, I invite you to just to pray a short prayer after me right now. Pray this to yourself and then, and then just know that these aren't magic words. But what these do is they, they communicate a posture of your heart right now. I invite you to pray these, these words to yourself after me. You can just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I need to be rescued. I trust in what Jesus has done for me on the cross. 
and I want the life that he offers. And so I commit my life to following him as Savior and Lord. Well, go ahead and keep your eyes closed because others of you here are here this morning and you know that you've drifted. You maybe didn't make any intentional decision to do this, but you just know in your heart of hearts that the gospel of Christianity, the good news, is kind of mediocre news to you right now. It just doesn't do anything to you anymore. Other things have become more important to you. Relationships, image, grades, work, or whatever else. And you know that you're burning yourself out on the inside, trying to make things work, trying to find value in these things. If you're here and you've drifted this morning, I just want to invite you back to the truth we've already looked at a few times. You are loved. You are accepted. You have worth because of what Jesus has done for you. And just to yourself, pray, God, that is good news. And I want you to, to feel again the peace and the assurance that comes from this good news that Jesus offers. And now, Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us. Father, I pray that you draw everyone here and us together as a church family. Draw us more deeply into the gospel of your grace to us. May the good news of what you've done for us, Jesus, may it continue to fill us with gratitude and fill us with awe and fill us with, with resolve to live our lives in line with the gospel. We thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done in making this good news possible to us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.